Yeah, there's, there's two things that I think about when it comes to, 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 to growing food. I think anything that is satisfying in our life comes after a bit of struggle. So whether that's like, you know, the high after a run or going in the cold water, you know, it's, it's hard at the time and, it, you know, you don't want to go in there. But after it, you, you're like, thank God I did that. But it's only nice because you've gone through that struggle. And then growing food is like oh, that, that waiting game, that patience for it. And um, so I don't mind, you know, sowing the seeds in, well, I actually can't wait to sow the seeds in January, February and March and know that I'm not going to harvest probably a lot of the food until July, August time. But that's what makes it so exciting. And that's why we respect the ingredients so much more. And that's why it tastes so much better. I, I met an amazing farmer in Mexico and he, he called it a silent revolution because it doesn't look like you're holding a revolution when you just build a raised bed and start harvesting your food from there. But really, you're like saying F you to the, to the, the, sh the local shop who may be spraying pesticides all over your food. And you're, you're harvesting nourishing food that's going to make you and your family thrive. So it really is a silent revolution because you're just going about your revolution in peace in the garden. So I, I, like, I like that element of, of revolution to growing food. Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. Steve and Dave here. On the Happy Pair Podcast, we explore health, happiness, what gives meaning to life, and to find more joy on this wonderful uh, adventure. Yeah, really do. It's brilliant. We have such fun with it, and we hope you have thoroughly enjoy it too. So today we've got a wonderful episode for you where it's with Gaz Oakley, a, an incredible Welsh chef and YouTuber. He's got 1.5 million subscribers and 80 million views on his videos. He's an ex-professional chef that's now a content creator. He's moved from London to the countryside, so he's very much about inspiring people to grow their own veg, organic veg, and to cook them and eat more delicious plant-based foods that are better for you, better for the planet, better for nature. Um, we'd been following him for years. We became friends. We met a number of times. And he always kind of said he wanted to come to, to our little world, to come visit the Happy Pair, to come see our organic farm, and to come enjoy our supper club. And he came um, a couple of weeks ago, and we recorded a podcast in person upstairs in our cafe. There was about a 30 or 40 attendees uh, there that came along to watch it and it was a beautiful intimate conversation it really really was Gaz is epitomizes a gentleman he's um if you watch any of his videos he comes across as this real soft considered and in person he's even kinder and nicer and more sparkly yeah he's he's really really sweet and he's very handsome as well so we we did record this in video so you can watch it on the happy pair podcast channel if you like to watch you know something that's easy on the eye um it's a yeah it's a really nice it's a really nice conversation that i think will inspire very inspiring you. yeah it'll inspire you inspire in many ways if you'd love to stay up to date with what's going on in the happy pair and with seasonal recipes do check out and subscribe to our newsletter dave writes it every week and really puts a bit of heart and soul into it and um, if you do listen to our podcast regularly and it does add value to your life, one of the greatest compliments you can do is to give it a five-star review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, another thing you can do is you could share it with a friend or family because I guess we really believe in this podcast. We learn so much from it and I think it can help so many different people. If you are on YouTube, we have started to publish our podcast in video format on YouTube. It's just the Happy Pair podcast, you'll find it. And we do cut it down into small, well, Shawnee cuts them down into smaller, more shareable episode yeah so you can watch the full podcast episode there which is great you miss out some of it uh some in audio sometimes you might miss out some of the visual cues but it's it's great yeah if you like uh, if you're a visual inclined person so just a review sign up to the newsletter five star review share with a friend and subscribe to the happy pair podcast on youtube we hope you enjoy it welcome gaz oakley 
Um, welcome everyone, it's a real pleasure to have you, it really, really is. We're honoured, a little bit excited and nervous and all of the above. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome the wonderful Gaz Oakley! Thank you for having me. Yes, it really is a treat. We like the like we were just saying there that the last time we did a live podcast, we did one in a theater recently, but it was probably seven years ago. We did one with Rich Roll down the back, so it was it was a really long time ago. Down beside eight. the bins, <laughs> in the very back, like it really was. It was funny, you know. And that's I forgot about that till now. Um, but it really is a treat, of Gaz. As you know, we're gonna we'll cover all sorts of things. We'll probably have a chat to start with, and then we'll open it up to everyone and get questions from because it's small and intimate. It'd be fun just. To get everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. So, so first up, Gaz, it's, uh, it's a real honour to have you. Oh, really, really it's so really like amazing. Your work. Yeah, thank Beautiful you. Beautiful work. Well, yeah. we've been in conversation for years, haven't we, really? And um, fine, I can't believe it's taken this long for me to get here, so I do apologise, but oh my God, I wish I came sooner. It's incredible what you're doing. Absolutely amazing. I'm so full, though, about the amount of food you've been feeding me since I got here. It's crazy. Oh, a lot of, <laughs> you're ready to blow. I am. <laughs> Yeah, great. Well, well, let's kick it off with like what led you to become like if you could go through a, a, a kind of short, uh, yeah. your hero's journey. All right, I'll keep it short. A and quick sweet. hero's journey <laughs> to bring anyone up to speed that doesn't yeah. know you. Well, um, I grew up in Cardiff in Wales. I'm very proud to be Welsh, actually. And um, the, most kids in Wales, most boys especially, want to pr- play rugby for Wales. So that was my earliest passion. What position did you play? I was outside half. Oh, Ooh, nice. You're probably going to guess skillful. that. Uh, my kicking wasn't the best, but I was very skillful. Left-handed, I could throw a great left double, you left uh, dummy, left, left-handed, left-footed. Oh, yeah. nice. Uh, my dad was the coach, and um, yeah, it was great. I, I wanted to play rugby for Wales, and I was just saying I came over to Dublin when I was 12, and we did like an exchange, so I went and stayed with the Irish family, and that was amazing. Um, so that was my own experience, only experience actually visiting Dublin before now. But um, I realized when I got into high school that my sort of stature wasn't made for rugby. I was getting absolutely bulldozed by everyone that shot up. I just stayed the same height. So I reached my peak at rugby age 11, actually. (laughs) 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 This is such a shame. Um, And I played every sport. And any time I was in school, I was always looking out at the sports field or I was doodling in my my book. I I was never really... um, I never really enjoyed school, to be honest with you. I was, I was too, um, too creative, I feel, and too, uh, just wanted to be outside. Two straight lines. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and um, then I was just cooking at home with my dad because he, that's what he did every night. He was just inspired by, like, Jamie Oliver, and he actually got sort of brought up not having the best food at home. So I think when he reached... Uh, when he had us, um, me and my sister, he's just started experimenting in the kitchen every evening. And uh, I would just help him out. I saw his, his sharp knives and the flames he was using, and I thought I'd get involved with it. And I realized that was a good way for me to be creative. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And there was an opportunity to take catering or cooking class at 14 during, during, during GCSEs. And suddenly I was the best pupil in the class. And like my, my, my colleague, my classmates were. Um, where, you know, they would learn how to make a bolognese, but I was making a fresh pasta. Like, I was really excelling, and it felt amazing for once to be, like, the star student. Um, so instantly then I knew that I just wanted to be a chef. Um, so age 15, I got a part-time job at a local hotel restaurant. I was going into into the kitchen after work, after school, sorry. And um, then at 16, when you could leave school, 
I became full time chef, which just let like so yeah, just had enough of school and good really luck. did. Yeah, I just went for it. I, I really wanted to follow in the footsteps of like Michael Pierre White, who got Mich the, he was the youngest person to get three Michelin stars. I was determined. And looking back now, 16 years old, to my poor parents, bless them, they, they told me what it was like, the industry, and they, they, they were scared for, for me, really, to go into that environment. And I was straight away, I was doing like 70-hour weeks. Uh, I got a little scooter, a moped to get back and forth, and that was just a nightmare as well, falling off it. And were you working <laughs> in kind of fine dining in these kind of higher, um, more echelon yes, restaurants? Yes, yeah, I moved around, and, and that was my thing, fine dining. I was really... Um, like a sponge, really. You want to soak up all the knowledge from all the chefs around you, um, and I, I loved it. It was it was my my thing. And uh, was it was it like the way you see it in TV shows, like a Gordon Ramsay type thing, where it's yes chef, yes chef, no chef, <laughs> yeah. and very hierarchical and oh yeah, ooh, ooh, ooh. yeah. Because yeah, I, I was the youngest, I always had to prove myself, and it was, it was always it was it was always difficult. Um, but it was it was the thrill of that service is something that I still crave and miss today, actually. Um, but after a few years of working around and, and, and um, experienced different kitchens, I actually got a bit burnt out that, you know, doing those hours from such a young age. So I, I needed a break from the industry and um, I just got a sales job and was doing like a nine to five for a while. And actually, I'm so glad I did that now because I realized that when you don't, when you're not following your passion or purpose, you can fast become quite sad in life. And I was thinking, is this all that life is just getting up really early in the morning, not really wanting to get out of bed and go and do this job that wasn't fulfilling me. And um, luckily enough, and it was obviously like a godsend, I I was actually training in the gym because I wanted to play rugby again. I had this dream to play. It was back in it, away from three Michelin stars to back to rugby Exactly. Dream. I was like, I had this spare time after leaving the, 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 the kitchen. So I was just going to the gym every evening, eating colossal amounts of food, like 5,000 calories to put on all this weight full of animal protein. To pursue your rugby career. Yeah, I just like wanted the, the old chicken, broccoli and peas. That yeah, type it was of chicken, rice and veg. That was it, basically every meal of every day. And it was really boring, but... Having eaten that for for a good year or two, I just wasn't feeling good. I was going to the gym every evening, but feeling so sluggish. And um, I just started seeing more and more about a plant-based diet and thought, all right, I'll give it a go. And I, I gave it a go for two weeks. I thought, I'll give it a go for two and, weeks. And what was the catalyst? Like, so, what was the thing? Because there must be yeah. some spark that made you go, okay, I'm going to try this. Well, it was, I was having like stomach pains. I just didn't feel, as I said, I didn't feel good. I was feeling sluggish and that, that pain. And also then I um, was seeing, I don't know if you know JME, the rapper. Um, he's, a, he's a vegan rapper. And he, he was tweeting all the time about being plant-based and the stuff he was sharing was like, oh, that's interesting. Or, you know, talking about animals and, you know, dairy, for example. Like, I think he talked about that quite often and it just resonated with, with me a little bit and uh, then I watched a few documentaries and I just thought I'll give it a go and literally that first meal I had after having chicken rice and veg for so long <laughs> was so vibrant and exciting for me so I just thought I'll stick at it a month went by and I was feeling amazing the stomach pain left me and I just felt this sort of zest for life and a weird feeling to just want to go and hug trees and stand in nature, which was strange because <laughs> I was a city boy then. Um, that was really interesting. Did you just it, secretly sneak it and hug trees? <laughs> I wasn't that connected with nature back then, to be honest with you, but I did feel this sense of wanting to be around uh, a more nature-filled environment. And um, it's so funny going into my sales job at the time with this 
this weird food they called it and you know no one knew what it was like that i bought an avocado once they were like what are you eating but i was eating it like an apple so it's kind of weird <laughs> i did yeah, remove the skin <laughs> and um so that that actually encouraged me to start like sharing pictures of the food that i was creating at home on instagram just so people would stop asking me what on earth you're eating um even my parents was really confused at, what's he doing now type of thing um like that he's really lost his way. Yeah. Kinda, <laughs> a little bit like that. And then um, uh, after after realizing that my skills from the kitchens were helping me create this really vibrant, tasty, nutritious food and I wasn't missing out on anything, I decided to start sharing photos on Instagram. Before I knew it, people from everywhere were, were following me. I got to 7,000 Instagram followers. I thought I made it, quit my job and just put everything into and that it. Was it. <laughs> just, and you just decided this is it. I'm going all in on this. I did because I was so um, just down about my job at the time and my lifestyle and I didn't have that purpose that cooking gave me in this sales job that I finally found it. I was like, this is so fun. Like, I, I really got into cooking originally because I love serving my food to people. And when I was in the kitchens, actually I didn't get that sense of satisfaction that much because when you're in the kitchen often they're closed off and you know I was pestering the waiter when he would clear the tables what did they think of my soup what did they think of this and he would just go oh yeah they enjoyed it but I really wanted to see their faces and their reaction I would go on like Google reviews after and see if anyone mentioned anything about my dish Gaz, <laughs> yeah. soup was incredible. <laughs> but um but with the, what I was finding off Instagram at the time this is seven years ago now is wow, people actually really like that look, the look of that dish. And they've recreated it and they've tagged me and they said it was delicious. And I said, like, okay, this is actually really fulfilling. And I could spread my, my, um, my food and my message through, through social media. And I just thought, yeah, let's keep going at it. Thank, again, my parents let me live at home rent-free to just And was to there any kind of like from your dad, like kind of the structure to go, Gaz, you need a plan. Give me a plan. Like, where are you going with this? It was like, no, nah, go do it, Gaz. We got your back. It's mainly my mum that is a bit like that, actually. And um, But no, she was so supportive because I think they just saw how unhappy I was in the job at the time. And um, they didn't mind me taking over their kitchen experiments and as long as they were eating some of the food. So. And shortly after, they went plant-based as well, too. So it was, it was a win-win. I was, I'm so grateful for them. And, and how did, what led to that? Because, like, you know, I remember the resistance of our parents when we yeah. first came home and said that we were eating a different way and... Mom definitely wasn't. Really? It wasn't just like that. It was. Uh, it took years. Yeah. Well, I rang my mum at, at at the time when I just went vegan because they were away on holiday, and they, my mum said, "What is that?" They they didn't have a clue what it was. But my mum is so compassionate, and my dad is too. Actually, really, really compassionate. And as soon as I sat them down and you know shared a few videos with them, talked about the animals, they were they were on board, and you know they they are open minded, so they they gave it a go. And my dad, as I said, is a great cook, so he was able to cook some really nice food and they don't miss out on anything really so so we partner with instant brand and they really are helping people and helping us rethink the way we cook one of my favorites is their vortex versus own air fryer with a clear cook window it's got this big drawer where like i know there's a craze about air fryers but this is the air fryer of air fryers i love it 
Yeah, it really is. Um, they've also got a, a Vortex Plus air fryer oven. There's an Instant Pot Superior slow cooker, which is really cool because you can actually saute first before you slow cook all in the same pot. And it's and a it's, great way of making healthy food just easy it to It really cook. is. Well, well that, like I, I honestly use the air fryer and the Instant Pot all the time. Like I genuinely do at home. Click the link down below in our show notes and avail of these wonderful ways to rethink the way you cook. How did you get going on YouTube? Because that was where we first came across. You remember we yeah. we committed to YouTube and we were part of Jamie Oliver's, uh, what was it called? Food, Food YouTube That's Network. Right, yeah, yeah. We used to go up to London and we thought it was the most amazing thing ever and we were putting loads of work in it. And then we saw this fella from Wales putting out these beautiful videos. I remember it was, maybe it was Sean and you said it. It was like, wow, wow. this lad's cool. <laughs> They're beautiful. Where did he come Thank from? You, yeah. How did you get started with all that? Well, I remember seeing you guys back then as well. And uh, and actually Jamie's FoodTube, um, I was I was in talks with them and they, you know, they liked my first video, which made me so <gasps> happy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, YouTube was a whole new ball game because I decided, you know, I'd been watching cooking shows all my life. My dad had them on constantly. I was, I loved Rick Stein and, Keith Floyd and Gordon Ramsay on TV. So I felt like I had my training. I knew how to potentially make a cooking show, but oh, I was not. And your head I was, was naturally even kind of seeing the cameras and the shots. And well, the the re- and the- so the reason why I got the sort of invested in a crew right from the start was because I was rubbish on camera. I, the f- I just knew that I like if my friends were in a, in a band and they would often like ask all their mates to come and be in the video. And as soon as the camera would turn to me, like I'd, my lip would start shaking and I would feel, I would just, I'm, I would get so shy and nervous. So I thought if I can make the production levels decent, it may mask my really bad presentation style. It didn't, it just made me look even more nervous and shy to be honest with you. But I think that's the real beauty about you. If this, you've this gentle, Slow, like slow, integrated, beautiful way mm. that you talk. And I think there's a vulnerability, which is so many of us can relate. And like when I watch your videos, they're like, it's almost like, ah, oh, he's so lovely. Oh, so I, lovely like, I get the same so thing lovely. from you guys, honestly. And um, I think... I don't keep saying No, that. no, it's, no, it's true. It's, it's, it's true. And I, like looking back now, the early videos, I, I just find it awkward. It's, it, there, is, there is endearment, I guess, and then, but then there's just awkwardness, and now I can't, I can't even watch them, so it, it's, it's a shame. But um, the YouTube started because I just wanted to show people how to make the and recipes. And you just invested. You just said, right, I'm going for it. I'm going to invest in this. We're going to go high production. Rick Steen, here I come. Yeah, well, I just thought uh, there's no... Uh, let me just get... I couldn't do it on my phone, so I just thought, let me just... Google if there's any local film crews. I got a credit card. I don't recommend it. Got a credit card and then so you just, just risked it. You were just yeah. like, right, we're going for this. And I couldn't film at my parents' house because we had a very small kitchen. And I, I, I thought, well, what's the next best thing? I'll go on Airbnb looking for a, a nice kitchen in a nice house. So I booked this, <laughs> I booked this house, and then I, I met the the Airbnb owner. Turned up. Oh yeah, it's just me staying this weekend, or me, me and my girlfriend at the time, just us. And he said, oh, great, uh, be careful in, you know, there's some old like furniture in here. Yeah, no problem. Like an hour later, this crew turns up with all these cases and rearranges the kitchen, basically, with all this equipment. Uh, it was really, yes, we didn't tell him, but you probably saw it years later. Um, and yeah, those first, I think it's five videos we shot, I was, oh, I was so awkward. I was so stiff. I felt so uncomfortable. And I didn't have, as much as I had an eye for 
what a good cooking show should entail. I didn't really know anything about the te technical aspect of cameras and the right shots, so I didn't really direct at that point. But after I saw the results of those videos, I was like, right, if I'm going to do this, I've got to, you know, I've got to really guide and, you know, talk about what angles I want. And uh, I actually wasn't going to continue because I was, I felt so awkward doing it. But a lady came over to me at a vegan festival and said that I, my videos had saved her Christmas because I did a, a Christmas dinner on one of the videos. So I was like, oh, okay, this actually can help people. So I continued doing it then. And, and how about what, like what role did fear have? Because anyone getting a credit card and going, feck mm. it, I'm going to launch a YouTube channel. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to rent an Airbnb. I'm going to get a production crew in. I don't know where this is going. I don't know how I'm going to get an economic return for this, yeah. but I'm going to do it. Like what role did fear have? Or how did you like manage to quiet and fear, even bring fear along the journey, but still go for what you be believed in? Yeah, well, I guess I could ask you the same question because you've built this empire here. And then th this to me is like the next stage. You know, this is colossal. And the thought of, you know, getting a, a load of land and building a farm is like, that's fear for me. But what I've realized is over the years of, you know, you're never d doing a cookbook before, never starting a YouTube channel, not knowing how to take a good food photo or not being able to edit photos or videos you think you can't do it because you've never done it before. But when you do it, you realize that you can pretty much do anything if you, if you do put your mind to it and just invest the time. So um, I was scared, but I, I'd got a chef's job when I was 16 and, and knocked on restaurant doors asking for a, a job and said I'd work for free. I don't know where, where I got the confidence to do that, but you, you're able to do stuff if you just try. I think a lot of the time our self-doubt puts us off, doesn't it, uh, doing things, but... Um, I just I just went for it and, and good on you. Yeah. Well, which is so interesting is because like you're you know there's a lot of people like we I remember we we did a tour to schools and we went around asking kids uh, what do they want to be when they were older mm. and you know you think oh, I want to be a doctor and engineer like there was probably sixty percent of them said I want to be a YouTuber and it was like a YouTuber so everyone yeah. has asked right they're like there's so many young kids because they go oh that's the ticket to making loads of money I'm gonna have a Lamborghini I'll put in a few Lamborghinis and I don't, <laughs> already know, after work. I don't know what I'm gonna spend the money on it's gonna yeah. be so easy but the reality is that like you know they forget that there's a 10 year journey a massive journey to get to the possibility of that yeah. whereas you started it on a credit card and now you've got 80 million views and you've got you know, uh, more than a million subscribers, 1.5 million subscribers. So it's, it's, it's becoming a reality. I don't think you've got a Lamborghini yet. No. You've got a farm now. Um, <laughs> but like, it's been quite a journey from that. Yeah. It's been five years since you've... Oh, seven been, years now, I think. Seven years, okay, YouTube. yeah. yeah. So seven years to an overnight success. It's definitely been a journey. And, and it's just as hard today, I feel, as it was in the early days, really. But um, I've been really lucky in, in lockdown, um, craving nature and cra craving sort of a sense of freedom and also wanting to know where my food came from led me to move back to, to Wales and, and to the countryside. And, and you previously were living in Cardiff? I was in London at in the London, time, okay, yeah. Wow. So um, I was living just a very normal city life, I guess, but in lockdown I felt trapped. So I decided to move to the country and, and I had this, this desire to learn how to grow food. And that has just transformed the way, you know, myself and Tom, who's here, um, create our videos. You know, we try and do a, put a story behind the recipes now and or we talk about how people become more self-sufficient or how they can preserve the food. And, you know, I actually feel more of a chef now than I did when I was actually in the kitchen because I actually have respect and love and I know where the food is coming from. But before I just thought of it like a product 
which is a real shame. And I actually can't wait to have a place where I can serve my homegrown food or even walk people around the farm. Like you guys giving me the tour today. I was like a child in a sweet shop and I bet you felt so proud to, to you know, you were picking up the, the rocket like I've never tasted rocket before in my life. But it was, and it was delicious. And I was so grateful of that. Isn't it amazing, that feeling? Oh, it really is. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I can 100% yeah, yeah. relate yeah. to it. Uh, yeah. And what about the, your journey kind of into, because we found the similar one that like, you know, you buy a courgette or you buy a tomato because you're cooking a recipe or you're creating a recipe and there isn't necessarily that correlation. Like there's almost like a sensitivity or an awareness to, okay, well, how can I move further back the food chain mm. or further back the production chain to kind of go, well, growing it. Growing is there's more of a connection to nature. You're going to feel more connected to yourself and the quality of ingredients. How's that kind of journey been from being a 16-year-old, sh- yeah. starting in a kitchen, starting a YouTube channel, and now you've kind of come back home nearly where you're, you're about a homestead nearly. Yeah. It's about, you know, Gaz's homestead <laughs> yeah. with his chickens and his, you know, your tunnel. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's so much more story now behind everything I do. So, and my recipes in terms of when I'm creating them, it's, it's what do I have on, off, on, on hand to, and how will I make this beetroot shine, for example. And that's fun, creating a story behind, you know, we were just talking before we got on here about I just made a beetroot pizza, a pizza, I called it. And that was so exciting. Oh, yeah, what can I do with my pizza? My pizza? No, my, what can I do with my beetroots? Oh, make a pizza. And, and did you make the dough? Like, yes, there's beetroot in the dough. Yeah, so we made a pink dough and topped it with a, a beetroot ketchup and then roasted beets on top and then a little Welsh rabbit sauce cheese sauce on top and that was it's so fun so there's a story there and it makes beetroots more exciting so that's really fun but I, I always say is a it's a bit cliche I guess but as my my red my my crop roots grow deeper I found I'm growing deeper to Wales and I feel a real connection to to the land so that's beautiful and and you know just I think the the way the world is now um you know it is is there's a lot going on and there's a lot of outside sources distracting us from being happy and present and and I do take on a lot of responsibility and and as you guys know running a business on YouTube it is a lot a lot of a lot of um a lot goes on lot, yeah exactly it's not just turn on the camera and then there you are there's a lot of lot to do um but when I'm in the garden I'm you know, I'm, I'm miles away. And even if I'm filming in there, it's so, I'm, I'm so at peace. It's, it's the best thing. And now I really want to encourage just as much as to encourage people to eat plant-based, but also just to start growing some food because I realized that I could have done it on my London balcony. I just needed a few buckets and pots. I could have grown, grew quite a lot of food. I think, I think when you do connect to nature, nature is a totally different rhythm. You go from human being or human doing to human being. Ah, like I know smart. myself, yeah, yeah. like I'm caught up with, I must be a productive human yeah. business efficient. person, efficient. And then I know when I get to the farm, it's sitting like, oh, yeah. wow, what was I worried about? Yeah. And I think that connection to nature, nature is a different rhythm to even a town like Grayson's, not to mind a city like London. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And when you're, when you're at, the, at a farm and all your senses are engaged, you know, your touch when you're, when you're harvesting or your, your hands are in the soil. I think you work with Charles and he probably told you, about Charles Dowden, about oh, he, the, the bacteria be- within the soil. That's like a, a natural antidepressant. Or, and then, you know, your smell, you can smell nature and sometimes horrible smelling compost, but I'm, I love that now. Um, and then, you know, your, your touch. And I said that already. What else we got? Sights and yeah, everything, your ears. <laughs> I was thinking there, like, how has your mental health changed or has it since moving from London back to nature? And like, you can see you're, you're very lit up by... 
growing vegetables yeah. and getting your hands in the soil in the farm? Like, have you found that your your own outlook or your mental health has changed for the better or not? Maybe not. Yeah, I think it really has. I think I'm, I'm definitely more comfortable in my skin and, and um, yeah, it's, it's so tranquil. And I, 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 I've, I never like to say I, I struggled with mental health back in the day, but now I've, I feel so more clarity in, in my mind and happy than ever before. And I think a lot of it is to do with finding that purpose in the garden or, or in my land and, and really being proud of the, the content that I'm putting out there. Um, yeah, I definitely feel a lot happier. <laughs> and do you think there's a link between the quality? Like, because if you're growing your own, like there is a very, you've got so much more respect and so much more mm. reverence and appreciation because say I go over to Super Value over there and I buy a courgette, like it's just a courgette. Like, you know, whether if I don't use it and it goes off in the fridge, it's not the end yeah. of the world. But when you grow a courgette, You've what you've you've grown the seedling. You've what Alessia like, has. Yeah, Alessia has. Yeah, yeah. Or, or or if it's down at home, like you know, we used to grow stuff in the house or whatever, yeah. and you'd germinate it, and you'd have it in the, the the windowsill, and then you'd put it out in the garden, and then you know it'd take months. Yeah. It's such a long process that when you got a courgette, it wasn't just a courgette. This was the the trophy at the end of a <laughs> yeah. long journey. So you really wanted to celebrate it. It's yeah. not just a, so you're kind of, I think it's more how your whole person is fed rather than just the nutrients which come from the food. Have you found something oh, like yeah. that? The, the, it's yeah. hard to put words articulating it, but it seems if for Supercharge us, it's, your yeah. 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 like a different yeah. experience that like, you know, there was someone who we talked to that said two of the most primary needs that we have as humans, one is food and one is shelter. Yeah. Food and shelter, two basic primary needs. And a lot of us outsourced food and we've outsourced shelter because we, we rent homes, we buy them and therefore we're looking for meaning. Whereas food and shelter, oh, for millions of years, like food and shelter was what we were trying to... Gave us purpose. It, it, gave, it took yeah. 90% of our attention because we yeah. were always looking for food and you were either moving around trying to build shelter or it took you so long to build a shelter. Yeah, there's, there's two things that I think about when it comes to, 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 to growing food. I think anything that is satisfying in our life comes after a bit of struggle. So whether that's like, you know, the high after a run or going in the cold water, you know, it's, it's hard at the time and, it, you know, you don't want to go in there. But after it, you're like, thank God I did that. But it's only nice because you've gone through that struggle. And then growing food is like oh, that, that waiting game, that patience for it. And um, so I don't mind, you know, sowing the seeds in, well, I actually can't wait to sow the seeds in January, February and March and know that I'm not going to harvest probably a lot of the food until July, August time. But that's what makes it so exciting. And that's why we respect the ingredients so much more. And that's why it tastes so much better. Um, and the second thing is I, I like, I really want to, I'm a bit of a control, control freak. And I think particularly in lockdown and with COVID and everything like that. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that because you may get, uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you may get uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say the word anymore, but, um, but you know, I, I just felt like a bit helpless and a, a little bit um, like reliance on, on, like we, I outsourced everything. And I feel like growing food is one of the best ways of becoming self-sufficient. You know, you're, if you can feed yourself and your family then, and, and, and nourishing food, then that is extremely self-sufficient. And one of the hardest things actually to become self-sufficient at. Um, so it's like, a, I, I met an amazing farmer in Mexico and he, he called it a silent revolution because it doesn't look like you're, holding a revolution when you just build a raised bed and start harvesting your food from there. But really you're like 
saying F you to the, to the, the, sh- the local shop who may be spraying pesticides all over your food. And you're, you're harvesting nourishing food that's going to make you and your family thrive. So it really is a silent revolution because you're just going about your revolution in peace in the garden. So I, I, like, I like that element of, of revolution to yeah, growing food. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it really and is. it gives younger, it's kind of, you know, modern day society, we celebrate technology. It's yeah. like Elon Musk, I think we were in the sauna today and Tash was talking about the Starlings, this, oh, yeah. the, the satellites that Elon has up in space and so many modern day society celebrates that and big results in farm and farming is old fashioned. But it's <laughs> yeah. you see someone like you really make farming look cool and sexy and give yeah. it meaning and give it purpose and make people go, yeah, maybe I can do that. Mm. Maybe I should get my hands in the soil. Yeah. I can. Uh, honestly, coming here and seeing, you know, I was so excited to see the veg that you had here and, and learn that it, most of it's from the, the, the farm and then visiting the farm is so inspiring for me because that's exactly what I want to do. And to see you guys doing it is just incredible. And the community aspect that you have here and everyone knows that when they come here, they get in a nourishing bowl of organic delicious food that's just grown down the road i think what you're doing in this community and the reach that you have on social media is like extremely powerful and revolutionary so it's amazing what you guys thank are doing you. thank you that's thank you adventure yeah uh, okay uh, one more question before we open it up i'd love to know about your creative process so obviously yeah. you, you put out lots of content you know it is an art form there is an art mm. form of creating a recipe creating a dish you know, and your content. So how does your creative process work? Or is, do you, do you even articulate it or is it something yeah. that just happens? Um, well, initially it was just me standing behind my kitchen island and saying, right, today I'm making this dish and we just capture that, which was great. And, you know, the, the recipes really help people. But now I'm sort of really delving into the filmmaking process, you know, inspired by people like Anthony Bourdain. And, you know, you, you featured on Somebody Feed Phil, who's someone else who I love. I just love the, love the aspect of telling people's stories or telling stories f- through food itself. And Tom, who I've mentioned a few times, is, is my right hand man. And we, I think we're like the dream team. So um, I'll come up with a, a concept. Um, and some, you know, sometimes they can be as simpler, simple as, all right, uh, currently I'm editing a, 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 um, a video just on beetroots, how to grow beetroots. And, you know, then I'm like, oh, well, what a, where do beetroots come from? Oh, actually, back in the day, beetroots used to be a class as an aphrodisiac. Oh, let's get that into the story. And that's interesting. And I'll find ways in which I, how I can use beetroots in, in ways I haven't used them before. So that's the, the, the theme of that video. Um, so, yeah, it's about telling stories through food and um, the, the actual... Uh, process is not as sort of scripted as probably I should do it's a lot of it comes naturally um and uh yeah I'm very I've got a thing about sort of aesthetics and you know like not in terms of me so much but in terms of like the wood and the, the bowls and you Even know the I, tins I saw yeah, your porcini mushroom one and I saw these it. tins that you pulled your things and I was like Jeez, you got yeah. style, guys. Well, yeah, I, was, I, just, I needed herbs to take to the woodland to make my... And of if, course, in this beautiful little box, I'm like, I, oh, no, but so as, I, as I was leaving, I was like, oh, there's an old tea tin there that I got of some market. And I was like, oh, I put my sage and herbs in there. And I saw it in the video. I was like, oh, yes. Like that for me is so exciting to get all those. Sometimes I joke that like the setup that I do is like a photographer's dream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a bit big headed, but I really love creating that 
that look. Um, and that's, I, I love doing it for when I'm doing food styling or, you know, when I have a restaurant, you know, I, I want it to be like an Instagram dream <laughs> almost. Yeah, yeah. And is, is that the dream that you'd love to have a farm to kind of table restaurant, that type of thing? Is that? Yeah. So over the years, my, my, plans of having a restaurant has changed and you know with three Michelin stars after you finished playing rugby for Wales yeah <laughs> I still hold on to that dream no, I don't think it'll happen now but um, anyways um, yeah so initially when I was in the kitchens that was the dream have a restaurant you know traditional in the city maybe when I left the industry I thought bloody hell, I couldn't do that again working in those kitchens is too tough it's too much of a a uh, hard environment and obviously so many restaurants fail don't they it's it's, it's a hard game um but now living in the countryside um well ha actually prior to that when i had my audience and i was living in london i thought okay yeah maybe i could open a restaurant in london i've got this audience they've been asking me to open a restaurant for so long and i'm really i'm keen to serve my food but then since leaving the city and, and starting to grow my food there's i need a farm next to my restaurant i need literally i want to walk my guests around the farm then they come into the restaurant but then i was thinking oh but then i don't want to be like i don't want it to to be a real solid graft of you know 80 hour weeks and you know 60 people a night you know it's tough i don't want to put put my staff through that and i want it to be a bit more calm and tranquil in the kitchen so my big plan i haven't shared this with many people because um, top secret guys well, no it's fine <laughs> i actually want to put it out there more because i'm going to need a lot of help with it and i'm sometimes kind of scared to ask for help um i i always overthink that you know i'm a, I'm a burden but i really i want some help with it um so i'm going to put it out there basically i want to start an eco retreat centered around a farm um where i rewild a lot of the land uh, big market garden in the center, cabins where people can come and stay and, and a restaurant on site where um, I only sort of serve the, the people that are staying at the retreat and they have a real experience. So they're not just coming for dinner, but they're coming there for a five-day wellness escape to nature retreat where they can help me on the farm, pick the food, and then we go and cook it in the night. We do farm co uh, lessons and cooking lessons and we go and hiking up the local Welsh mountains and foraging in the woods and just a real amazing place where people can come to escape. So that's the, the major goal. And I think being able to cook for less people in a more intimate setting each evening, um, well, then maybe I could get a Michelin style because I'm not going to be running around like a headless chicken. And how involved in the actual day-to-day -day stuff I uh, um, will I be? I'm not sure at this stage, but I would like to be living there uh, and and really sort of hands-on probably it'd be hard to pull me away from the garden and into the kitchen i i don't know we'll see but um that's the major plan and then just using that space as a, a community hub just like you've got here this is amazing to see you know knowing that you have your regulars at over 20 years and people like i said before coming in for a nourishing bowl of food as much as it will be a sort of closed retreat i want to make sure that the local community schools and kids can come and learn and it'll be the center of everything I do in terms of the, the show on YouTube as well. Or maybe if we could get a, a sort of TV deal as well, it would take the pressure off planning <laughs> that side of things as well. So, yeah, that's the major plan. But sometimes I feel like I just want to quit everything and go live off grid and be a little bit of a hermit. <laughs> so that's nice. I think, I think day everyone day. can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if anyone's listening and has a load of, a, load, a good wag, wad, Wadge? What do you call it? Wadge. Wedge of land, yeah. In Wales. Email Gaz at yeah. GazOakley.com. Yeah, in um, yeah, GazOakleyChef.com. 
gazoakley.com gaz at gazoakleychef.com I couldn't get gazoakley.com because someone took it from me oh. they want a fortune for were it were they well. handsome sorry were they handsome I'm not sure I'm not sure but yeah oh well um, yeah it has to, I think it has to be in Wales because I really want to bring people to Wales we're a small country and you know we're proud and I think Obviously, these things often happen in London or outside in England. So I want to bring people to Wales and show them the beauty of it, just like you guys do here. Um, that oh, would I be the dream. It. I look forward to yeah. visiting. Oh, I can't wait to yeah. have you. Yeah, that'd be absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah, that's the dream. Yes, please. Uh, anyone? OK, let's open it up for questions. Just any questions. Let's make this a bit more. And Gaz, you're brilliant. So please just shout them out and we'll repeat them. Or raise your hand if you want to be more formal. Yes. Oh. So is there? So the first question oh, is yeah. there? Uh, is there a food nemesis which you'd love to grow, like some vegetable which you've always aspired to grow? Is that right? Or some yeah. food? Yeah. Well, I've only been. <laughs> yeah, I've only been growing food for the last three years now, so I'm a, I'm a baby when it comes to growing food. But I have grown a fair bit, but um, never been that successful. Broccoli, struggle with broccoli a lot, and not very good at cabbages. I get eaten all the time. I've done a few wheeler cabbages. They were, tell you. they were easy, but I was pulling off the leaves because most of them have been eaten by little slugs. And um, oh, I tried to grow watermelon this year, and I thought if I can grow watermelon, watermelon in Wales, then I've cracked it. Then you uh, next to the mangoes. Yeah, and well, soon you're going to chocolate and coffee. I wish, yeah. Um, but and I managed to grow a watermelon about this big, which is about, you know, just bigger than a tennis ball. And uh, I, it was f so funny. We did a live video of me walking around the garden and I thought, oh, I'm going to harvest this watermelon on camera. The big moment. Yeah, I thought it was ready. I cut into it and it was completely white in the middle. It hadn't ripened enough. I was, it was, I was so sad, but it was delicious still. So Tastes I need like a cucumber. Yeah, a little bit like a cucumber. Yeah, yeah. Melons and cucumbers in the same family. Yeah, I, I, I managed to grow a little one. I found it the other day when I was clearing out my tomatoes and that had a little bit of red inside and I just enjoyed that on my own in the greenhouse thinking, I did it. But it, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it was literally like a golf ball. So next year... There's going to be a big watermelon. So water, and did you grow it in the tunnel or was in that the tunnel. Yeah, the yeah. one out. The one that I picked that was... You know, relatively big uh, was was outside actually just leaning against the greenhouse so I think it was capturing the you probably sun. want a black you know because obviously the sun comes down mm. and it you know absorbs the heat if you've got a black surface on it Maybe yeah that's black. smart we haven't tried that's smart watermelon's quite I think watermelon's out of all the melons is probably the more difficult because um, I went to Charles Dowding's farm and he had tons and I went to tons of watermelons yeah, uh, yeah and uh, cantaloupe and a few varieties wow. actually and I went to Spicy Mustache, who's another amazing London yeah. grower and, and cooker, cooker, cook cooker. on uh, on Instagram. And uh, we spent quite a bit of time together. And he's got a tiny urban garden, which is a bit of a kicking kicking the nuts for me because I was like, damn, I could have grown. Comparison the death no, of all. No, it's not that. I was just thinking, damn, I could have grown way earlier because this guy's proving that you can grow. He grew like twenty. Two, um, 280 kilograms of, of produce in a space no bigger than uh, I think it's I think it's four by five meters so 20 square meters I think so don't quote me on that but it's a tiny little patch with concrete floors he grew 280 kilograms of food so and, and he harvested a melon in London in his little greenhouse and I was like okay next year I've got to do that
Wow. Yeah. I, I grew one melon. It was a little uh, a cantaloupe melon. Oh, nice. But it got pollinated by a cucumber. Uh, and I remember I was so delighted. I was cutting it to really impress someone. I can't remember who was there. It just tastes like a cucumber. Um, <laughs> it was but, so underwhelming. There's nothing sweet about yeah. it. It was like so vegetably. Yeah, but still, there's nothing better than a homegrown cucumber. It's so refreshing. Yeah, it's but like, not if you were expecting a melon. That's true. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, there we go. And there was the second part of your question. Oh, was there a percentage of how much food, like as a home? Yeah. and it seems oh, like you've yeah, got aspirations yeah, yeah. to grow a lot of your own because I know for the shop here we want to grow half of our own produce and for the kitchen we want to grow half our own that's produce. amazing yeah. yeah I mean in ideal world it'd be 100% but you know we need things I, I need things like rice and, and lentils oil. and oil and you know salt is not an issue because I really I could be going down to the to Barry Island which is my closest beach I think I, the water's a bit brown but I'm sure I could harvest some nice sea salt there and I think I think that is a, a dream to get to like 90%. And like, for example, we rely on things like lemon juice, but actually if you try rhubarb juice, it's a great alternative. And that's something I only discovered this year and things like, oh, I, need, I want my capers or olives, or you could use nasturtium seeds and, and ferment them or, or cure them. And that's a great alternative. So there's little hacks. And if you think like, what would they be doing like 150 years ago in, in Wales? You know? Just wouldn't have been eating rice potatoes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I would like to get to a point where I'm at least 80%. But um, so next year it'll be a load of chickpeas I want to try and grow. I grew a few soybeans this year, just an experiment to see if I could do that. And did you, were you able to dry them? And yeah, then yeah. And they, 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 drew, they, um, they dried out on the plant themselves and I, I just harvested a few seeds for next year's growing. None. And did you try making tempeh or tofu or any of that? I didn't get that amount. It was yeah. literally six plants just to see how they, they grew. But um, I want to take it to the next level next year. I, I, I don't have a big space and I'm on a hill, so it does make things challenging. But the more protein sources and carbohydrate yeah. sources I can get, the better. I've got sweet potato in my uh, polytunnel at the minute. I'm yet to harvest that. If that is a success, then, you know, I'm halfway there then. Yeah, I had a guy, there was a guy in Wexford who was growing sweet potatoes and oh, he used amazing. to bring them up and sell them to us. So you definitely can wow. grow sweet, like sweet potatoes is a subtropical plant. It's not like a normal potato. It needs heat and it's like a vine that goes yeah. out. Yeah, and a tuber, yeah. yeah, it's a tuber, but it's not like a in the ground tuber no. kind of, yeah. It's, yeah, it's taken over the greenhouse, but it's happily mm. like creeped around the tomatoes and everything. Um, what else do I rely on? The thing is, I like, well, hemp, I like hemp seeds on my porridge every morning, oats. But you could eat pumpkin, like yeah, pumpkins yeah. just scoop out true. the seeds. That's so yeah. true. Yeah, and but the thing is, even if I'm not 100%, as much local produce as I possibly can, and I really would like to know where everything comes from if if I can help it, so... That's the, the and if goal you can for build me. a community around yeah. you, we're equally into growing. You can swap your watermelons yeah. for their hemp seeds and swap, and then you're getting into the, a, a small little local barter and independent revolution. Yes. But it might sound like a crazy little game to anyone listening that idea. But ultimately, like in terms of resilience and food security, like if the world goes boom in some way and there's some kind of issues where, like, there's only supposedly seven days of food in most cities. And ultimately, then everyone's going, where do I get my food? Yeah. And if you've got your kind of food sorted, you've got 90%, well, you have a lot of people coming visiting you. <laughs> so <laughs> I imagine there might be some more competition. But there certainly can be that ultimate sense of satisfaction that you are providing, you are really yeah. in harmony with the land. And yeah, it must yeah. Be, it'll be a very satisfying journey. Yeah, it's, it's annoying though, when you go to the supermarket and you get, I get my essentials, like my lentils or, you know. Avocado. Yeah, not so much. Maybe more bananas I like, but... Uh, look at my shopping trolley. There's no green or veg. Then I, f I get self-conscious that I got a really unhealthy shopping basket because there's no veg. I'm like, so I say to the lady when she's checking things, I'm like, 
I grow most of my veg, just so you know. And, <laughs> and you say it's yeah. anyone looking at you as well. Like, yeah. you know, I grow, I grow my vegetables. Yeah. Look, I brought some with me. Soon I'll have really long hair. That's the aim. I'm trying to get it down here. Then people will definitely know I grow food. That's funny. That's good crack. I remember there was one month, it, was, it must have been back 15 years ago. Me and Steve kind of had the idea, right? We're only eating local produce. This is oh, about 15 amazing. years ago. It's at least 15 years ago. Yeah, and we had the question. idea that we're only going to eat local veg for a month and we were we ate like it was june so we thought june yes but we didn't realize like in ireland the produce doesn't really come in till july and august so we literally had potatoes onions and Uh. a few tomatoes and basil and we ate spunion that's what we called it. onion. Spunion. It was spud. It was potato and onion with tomatoes wow. and whatever. And we ate that for probably two weeks. And then it was like, oh, I'm, I'd have had enough of this game. That's <laughs> incredible. I, I would love to give myself that challenge. So far, yeah. I, I've only done only food I've grown uh, one day. I want to try and do it for a month next, which is definitely one day is, was easy, but it was like everything. So that's when I used the rhubarb instead of lemon juice. Well, that's when you kind of really need to need beans. Growing, gra- exactly. growing grains where you're getting a carbohydrate. Yeah. Like I know Charles, Otherwise you get her friend Charles Dowding would often grow a small row of rye, yeah. like rye wheat or variety of wheat. He'd mill it and then he'd make his own simple yeah. sourdough rye bread out of it. That's something right. like so nourishing yeah. to be. That full cycle. Yeah, I grew a load of quinoa this year actually, um, nice. and that w- that was just an experiment. But I know next year I'm going to have a load of that. Um, but I think when I'm looking at, I'm really getting into my foraging. I'm looking at sort of old books, and there's a load of like tubers out there in the wild that we sort of lost touch with that we used to eat centuries ago. So I'm, I'd be really keen to like look into that and you know I'm always thinking oh what f- we could make a video out of that or a film out of that and that's really interesting so maybe discovering some of these old foods that we'd lost like when we think of nuts we just think of like Brazil nuts walnuts cashews but, cashews but we've actually got a load of nuts in Calm the UK up. and Ireland cob yeah, nuts yeah. hazelnuts are right in season now so and that's something I've, I haven't put any research or looked into but oh, let me just try and find these so I would love to be getting onto that that mindset. The thing, more. the thing though about local tubers is like, uh, there's a reason why they, you know, yeah. they've kind of fallen off. Because yeah. if you go find like dandelion roots and you get these yeah. long tap roots, they don't taste sweet. No, like no. our palates are so into yeah. sweet, they taste bitter and acidic. They're really healthy, but you want to be really hungry. Yeah, that was my true. experience. Yeah, we were in the West and we were doing a TV pilot and we did this amazing forager and she was getting some of the weirdest stuff. And really? it, was like, it was amazing. And it was fascinating. It was amazing to try one leaf and then go, come on, let's go to the shop. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, like, just, and we made a salad and it was like, yeah, poof. You know, <laughs> that was interesting. Or something to eat yeah. Because it was just, our palate isn't used to that kind so of true. really bitter deeply greens. bitter. Yeah, but we were probably just eating it just for the nourishment back in As the day, really. The yeah. yeah, but you go into like when I go into the woodland, uh, you know, picking mushrooms and and picking wood sorrel, like wood sorrel. Wood I mean, it's t- it doesn't fill sharp. you up, but so delicious. It's oh, like yeah. oh, fizzy. This would be brilliant on any Michelin star plate. So it is out there. I'm going to find it. Just I'm going to find time. some good tubers. Dandelion root as well is so so incredibly medicinal as well. Yeah, and something that. You know, tastes a little medicinal too. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 have you ground it up into coffee before? It's, you get a roast. Yeah, first, it's really yeah. good, right? And um, you know, unfortunately, it's treated like a weed and tried to get rid of get rid of get yeah. rid of. It's a shame. Yeah. 
Han, you were you. I saw your hand. Um, do you want to repeat the question? Yeah, you can try repeating that one. Okay. How, uh, how do you take? How do you? Uh, ta- how do you, you have this wonderful dream of having your eco retreat and possibly Michelin star restaurant, part time restaurant on it. Yeah. So you can still have a lovely <laughs> lifestyle and go foraging the wood and get yeah. your wood soil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And how have you thought to take this further and to kind of inspire people? We live in a generation now where sixty percent of food consumed in Ireland, the UK, is ultra processed food. Yeah. You know, obesity is just. On a huge rise. Type the average the average person consumes about a hundred kilos of meat a year. That's the average person. So there's, I think, what you're getting at, Han, is that uh, there's great capacity to change and inspires others to change. Mm. And like, obviously, growing your own food is it will be a gateway to some people to kind of get them to change their diets yeah. and eat more plant based and that kind of way. Yeah. Um, well. I feel that that's where my my love for film and and uh, making videos with Tom and is, is going to be my my way of reaching a, a, a far field. So when I start the eco retreat, I don't plan on stopping creating videos because I really love doing it. So that's always been my way of of reaching a wider audience. And I always would say that food is is my activism in a way of uh, of and and using social media to to put that out there and encourage people. So the power of social media is so big these days that I need to utilize it to spread my message. And um, if I can encourage just one person to grow food, then I'm I'm over the moon. I I definitely feel like I've done that and encourage people, you know, to incorporate more plant-based meals in their lifestyle. And and social media has been the tool for me to do that up until this point. And that eco retreat is, is other than the pop-up restaurants I've done is a way in which I can be more tangible and do more in-person stuff. Um, because I crave what you're doing here and, and seeing you bounce around and knowing everyone's name and chatting to people and giving people food is, is what I really want to do. So um, it's just finding that balance between the social media side of things and, and the in-person stuff. So the, I think the question there is about your three years grown veg. How do you learn? How do you how do you evolve? And how are you making sure that you're sure. evolving your process from where you've been in the past? Yeah, so... Um, like like a lot of things these days, I learned a lot of growing food um, in the University of YouTube, really. So prior to moving to my place, um, it was like it took three months for the sale to go through of my house. And in that three months, I planned I planned what seeds I was sowing and what how many beds I would have. Um, so I really used that time to, to use YouTube. And there's so many amazing gardeners out there on YouTube. Charles Dowden, who we mentioned, Hugh Richards, Moth and Ali. Um, oh God, there's so many people. I'm, I, I, there's three f- for you to look at. Um, but um, nature's the best teacher. So, I, you know, I sowed my, the first thing I did was sow a load of seeds in one bed and then realized that, oh damn, that's way too much to be putting in one space. And uh, I'm just learning as I go. But actually the more I do it, the more natural it's feeling. It does, would you, would you agree with me that it feels like a very natural thing to be doing? I always use an analogy that it's like when you have sex for the first time, it just, you just know how to do it. But actually that's really wrong for me because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> I was very embarrassing. Um, but yeah, it does come I'm sure natural. you look good though. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I don't want to picture it either. Um, but yeah, it's this, yeah, so in the seas it comes natural and, um, I think YouTube is an amazing way of learning. My, my the size of my garden isn't isn't that big as and, I, and I'm on a hill, but actually I've learned that actually being on the hill is and a work, facing hill. That's right. So yeah. working with and the water will tend to drain well. Exactly. Yeah. So Grapes. working working with my environment and 
I, um, you know, having the hill, it's like a solar panel almost. It's it's it's, it's directing, it's, it's um, sort of facing the sun more. It's You wouldn't put a solar panel flat, you want it up. So my hill actually gets more sun, so that's good. Um, and just trial and error. Now, what I've, I've noticed actually, the importance of the soil itself is, is so, so big. So I'm really getting nerdy about my compost and my compost heap and trying to build that, that vitality. Because as soon as you've got really rich um, soil, you're going to grow some good food. So that's what I've and been doing. And enriching the soil with anything with seaweeds or well, mushroom, you know, fungal yeah. enhancers or things like that? Well, I've recently got adopted some chickens so they're my compost machines and um i'll give them a good life and they'll poop a load and enrich my soil so and yeah, do you keep them in a kind of pen and move the pen around or how do you stop and go and eating your carrots uh yeah they've got a, a large portion of the top of the hill so they they don't go near the, the the food but they get a load of my scraps they are the most well-fed six chickens i think in in the world which is great so um yeah. and what do what do vegan people like you know people that kind of go what do you have chickens oh, for yeah. you're meant to be a vegan person <laughs> like have you got much stick about that yeah i did i got a lot of um pre-judgment and and you know there was, there was i don't really look at the hate too much occasionally if i'm in a bad mood you you'll react to it and that's just nature uh really you know but uh yeah there's a lot of sort of judgmental people and reddit bloody threads on me when bitching about why I got chickens but they didn't realize that they were due to be slaughtered and they were adopted um but um I think that's one thing that's missing from we haven't touched on it that much because you know there's been a really positive chat but in terms of that vegan community that uh you know I was well and truly part of and still am for a number of years it's like a, a big echo chamber and it's very divisive to a lot of people and sometimes um <laughs> my as i said before my activism was was always just showing people how good the food could be and i i wouldn't necessarily be too pe preachy i guess about it and often i would notice that there is really divisive characters within various different groups and i didn't really want to be associated with that and i noticed them big time when i got the chickens i was like oh this doesn't fill me with that much confidence about the community i'm in um, but having posted and cleared up the reasons why I got these chickens, you know, I've had a, a warm response to it. But you can't please everyone and you just got to do your best. And if people are mad that I give excess eggs to friends and family, then I'm sorry. Like that's, that's what I feel is right at the time. I make sure the chickens have their share of the eggs they produce and they get a lot of uh, nutrients from eating their own eggs, which sounds weird. And it did to me at first, but you have to give lo loads of eggs back to the chickens um but any excess and they don't lay every day um will go to friends and family and i feel that's a good way of stopping them buying eggs from you know the more cruel egg um farmers Brilliant. you know because and then do you find the their poo their fertilizer well we call it fertilizer yeah. but really it's just chicken shit it is do you find it really helps the vegetables prosper yeah. and become more vigorous I, I don't know yet because i've only had the chickens for about four months so i will know next year oh, when yeah, that, yeah. that compost is broken down but i'm sure it will i mean that's of course you're bringing more biodiversity exactly more bacterial yeah they are compost machines they can make compost their poo 
so much faster than I can by stacking it all up. So it's just supercharged. So it's going it to supercharge the soil. Like they grass, it goes into 37 degrees and all yeah. these microbes just digest it and out it comes. Yeah. You know, 24 hours later, it's... Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> you know, it is a exactly. really yeah. clever system, much better than piling it up. Yeah. Well, I, I heard a story um, from a, 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 a friend of mine who was a, a, a builder in London and they were sort of... Um, tearing down one of these old houses and they had a compostable toilet in the back from years ago and where this compostable toilet has just had a load of poop going in it from humans Human. over years the soil all around that compost toilet was incredibly fertile and rich and I'd say and, and and you know they could probably could have grew, grew anything in it so actually maybe i'm thinking what should i do with my poop should i start oh. my own compost <laughs> You you spent time on a farm I've where they were yeah, they I've were doing in. that they were they were they had like human they compost they, toilets and, and urea acid is one of the quickest things to break down compost so everyone would go and piss on the compost heap yeah I do know, that and as well as yeah. and then they were yeah. growing their I don't know if they were growing the food that they were eating like and that, that's the one thing which Charles Dowding said is that realistically and and Charles Dowding if anyone doesn't know he's a he's the guy who pioneered no dig farming he's been at it for like 40 years organic farming he's an amazing like he's such a hands-on yeah. man of the earth you know he really yeah. really is and uh, he kind of said that the only thing that's missing he's trying to keep his system the nutrients that they consistently come back and it's like nature yeah. no nutrients is wasted so he so. sells his veg to his community and ideally they should give them their shit back and then he uses <laughs> that with compost which and then no nutrients yeah. are lost within the cycle because otherwise so, you've got it sounds weird but it's literally to minimize nutrient, nutrient it's loss. closing nu the nutrient loop and yeah. it's at the moment we you know as a society it's like human or oh my god poo's yeah. disgusting and like we haven't got there and i haven't got there no uh, just to clarify but there are people out there that are pushing the boundaries you yeah. do hear about it in Africa and you yeah. do hear about it you like you stayed in an intentional community in Missouri that they were doing this they were using human earth to fertilize their plants yeah. so there are people doing it so I'm sure in 20 yeah. or 30 years time it, we'll may see. it may work no, or they may be doing it I to, yeah I think especially on a plant based diet too for that resource you, it's, it's way better than having meat in your system and, and um, the hormones and yeah whatnot. so uh, I would be very comfortable spreading my poop around the farm once it's broken down you don't put fresh poop on it <laughs> you let it break down and you let it decompose and, and it you mix it in it yeah. won't even have an odor but that they say to put it around like fruit trees rather than on yeah. like a top layer of of where your Lettuce. kale is for example yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where's my kale brand yeah. <laughs> uh, your kale has a funny taste <laughs> <laughs> but a bit of dirt never hurt <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any more good. questions Gaz any chef that really stands out as one person that really inspires you and that's they got it right they're your they're yeah. your North they star yeah well, um, well, I'm certainly inspired being here, guys. So congratulations on everything. This is amazing what you've managed to set up here. So um, especially with the products as well. Incredible. Um, so um, early days, Gordon Ramsay and Marco Pierre White were some of my heroes. And, and uh, probably younger than that, actually, as I said before, Keith Floyd and um, Rick Stein. And actually... Rick Stein, I was so lucky, and I don't know if I can share this information now, but I'm going to do it anyway. But I, he actually came to Wales and came to my homestead a few months ago and featured me on his show. And like me and my dad were like fanboys. It was, it was incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I cooked him a, a, a Welsh rabbit. Uh, in the garden. A Welsh What's a rabbit? Oh, oh, sorry, a Welsh rabbit. Fancy it cheese. like a rabbit. Fancy cheese on toast it is, but I just and made a plant-based version. And, and uh, how did you make the cheese? You so, make um, 
I uh, make a roux with butter and flour, but I add leek in it, obviously it's Welsh, leek, uh, garlic, um, just cook that down, to gla- uh, add some salt, add some flour then, uh, obviously to create a roux, and then to glaze with uh, some Welsh ale. Um, it has a really sort of umami wow. flavour, and I also add things like miso paste and mustard, which obviously isn't traditional, but I'm trying to replace the the Glamorgan cheese that w- it w- was often in it or whatever Welsh cheese you'd want to use in it. And then um, add a little bit of non-dairy milk, add sage and things and pepper too, a bit of lemon juice, and it's really cheesy it and stringy. And kind of runny. Like, yeah, yeah, and it caramelises beautifully too, so, um, you know, you can put it on a pizza or I even um, put it in a cast iron pan, another cast iron pan over the top, and then on bread, by the way, and then put coals on top of the pan in it. Because I've been cooking outside for the last three years, so I've had to come up with ways of, to replace my oven, and, and that really caramelized it beautifully. So, yeah, Rick Stein and, and what he's done in, in Padstow, not that I've... What did I, Rick think you rare bit, though? Sorry, just he, to go he, back to... Yeah, he loved it, actually. Um, yeah, it was just... So and was he as cool as you thought he'd be? Exactly the be? same. Yeah, exactly the same as he is on camera. It was just absolutely surreal to, to be in his presence, and it was so fun. Um, so I think that's coming out this this year, uh, yeah, in a few months' time, I hope, on, on TV. Um, if I made the cut, that is... Um, and yeah, so what he's done in Padstow with his sort of empire restaurants, that doesn't necessarily appeal to me too much having a big empire of things, but just, you know, being able to share his passion with his audience that he's grown, you know, through his TV shows, through the food that he cooks and being able to still travel around the world and, and, and meet different people and tell food stories uh, along the way is, is, a, is a dream. I would love, to, I really love making videos. So hopefully I could still be doing it when I'm his age and still have a thriving restaurant or eco retreat, whatever I have. What so age is he? He's gone 70. Yeah. Okay, he did good. have a nap halfway through filming, which I thought was, <laughs> was just like a, Did he go off to his car? And no, he just sat in the seat and had a nap. I'm, su- I'm sure <laughs> he won't good. mind me saying it because they, they were all having a, a Indian food and beers the night before the cruise. So they, you know, it's a rock star life he's living still, which is great. And he was on the phone constantly to his restaurants saying what menu, what things to put on the menu. It was super inspiring. Really wow. was. Wow. And my dad dug out a book that he'd had for like 20 years and got that signed as well. Which is <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's, That's really great sweet. One. I'll just ask a question. What were the, if there was three vegetables you were going to grow that are kind of good starter vegetables, yeah. what would you start? Yeah, so I think the best time for you to sow seeds probably March um, with, this, with this climate. I start in January because I want to get pe- a head start on peppers, chilies and, and uh, watermelon and <laughs> not very successfully and um, cucumbers and things like that but um, in March I, I just recommend growing three things that you love and you, you spend most money on in the supermarket for me that was kale and chard and, um, and carrots that was the, the, the initial things but onions and garlic as well um, but let's say why don't you sow some some kale seeds chard is the easiest thing to grow beetroot as well is so easy to grow um Parsnips, uh, sorry, carrots have a, a reputation of being quite hard to grow or hard to get ripe, but um, you can direct sow them. And so that's e- the easiest thing to do. But um, what I do is start off in little modular trays and it just makes the whole process of growing a little seedling a lot more um, 
what would you say? They're, they're a bit more protected, aren't they? Less disturbed, less disturbed yeah. And then transplant them out, transplant yeah. them out. So you can start them a little bit sooner. Once they get to about that size, then you can plant them out and they will be in their final home then. So I would just say, start with three things that you, you buy a lot and what you really like. And a lot of the information is on the back of, back of a packet, but you can just Google these, uh, YouTube these days, how to grow carrots. And there's amazing growers out there that just literally have episodes on how to grow a particular veg. Maybe you'll see some of our videos. <laughs> yeah, I like time. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, any final questions? Okay, okay. I've, oh, oh, great, yeah. Uh, so the question there is, uh, in terms of your content creation, what percentage of it is it like because you're dying to do it and what percentage is because you know it'll get views because you know your I'm audience wants it? Yeah, and I think that uh, it would be amazing for me to say that oh, I, don't, I just want to do what I want to do. I don't worry about the views, but, you know, really I have to make it I have to make it successful to to continue doing it so you do take into consideration what the audience wants and I really did do that in the early days um for example like my most viewed videos like a high protein meal prep so I thought oh that's doing well I'll do another one of them but I was just doing it really to appeal to the masses I guess but nowadays it's more so um, the quality of the content and yeah, more what I want to, what I want to showcase, but I've just noticed that with YouTube and the, the reason it's difficult is, is, is how to package that, that video. So in the terms of how the thumbnail, is it clickbaity? Basically you it has need, to be sensational. It has to thumbnail. be. So that, that's the only bit where I think, how can I get it to appeal to the main thing, but the actual content of that actual video um, it's mainly the stuff that I really want to want to showcase and, and help inspire um, people to do so. Um, I'm, I'm actually really comfortable to say now that it's just stuff I want to do, which is great. Yeah. That's yeah. a nice way to be. Yeah. Uh, okay, final question is for anyone out there who's listening and going, okay, I want to be a YouTuber. I'm yeah. dead set in being a YouTuber. You've been at it seven years and you have smashed it. You've, you've, Thank you. You've won the gold medal of it. Uh, what, would, what would three kind of tips you'd say to someone who's starting and going right I want to I'm serious about this whether it's food or whether it's vegetables or whatever or whatever their or niche whatever might be yeah and I do think there's a uh, I think most people with their passion if they have a passion they could turn it into a YouTube my dad for example he's great at like refurbishing old tables and chairs and things like that and I said you know you, we could literally bring the cameras here and you could do a tutorial I'm sure if it was shot right so I think that's important so you can make the best film ever um, on an iPhone. It, you don't really need the best camera and the equipment because as long as there's a, a storyline and it's gripping, and that's something that I've learned, there needs to be an arc to the story and they need to build up that anticipation within it. So have a good storyline and that could just be a how-to. So sharing your knowledge on how to, to make something or how to, like you said, makeup, how to apply makeup in a certain way. So give people, give the, the viewer... Um, something um of value um in terms of the the camera qualities i said you don't necessarily need a really good camera but it does help so you could and it, it you can do what i did and find someone on google or twitter to see if there's a local person with a camera maybe it does make yeah maybe not the credit card <laughs> but it, it does make the sort of process of the editing a lot easier because i'd never knew how to edit prior to to doing this um, when i started so i needed that help so think about the editing before you start because that takes up a long time um what else and don't forget things like thumbnails and your titles so make it appealing 
think of it like think of the title and the thumbnail like a billboard i'm still bad at it i'm still struggling to get people to click on the video um but uh that's super important you have to look at like big youtubers like mr beast um who makes like the most crazy clickbaity titles but he gets millions of views and and he does it right he, he's cracked youtube for that but I think you can't go wrong with telling a really good story and capturing it right. And think about the little things, those little aesthetics, like you mentioned, that little pot of herbs. Yeah, those little aesthetics are important. <laughs> good one. So it's a hard question to answer, that is, because I feel, as much as you say I've got the gold medal, I feel like I haven't cracked it still to this Well, relative to somebody starting, yeah, you absolutely yeah. have. And yeah, and I guess there's one thing you forgot there is the consistency. Oh, and yeah, the, flipping and, it. Yeah, the, and yeah. the perseverance. Cause yes, yeah. It's, if it's taken you seven years, years, like it's it's not a... Yeah, it's posting... Early on, it was every Sunday at 6 p.m. every single week. They, For how many years did you do that? At least three years. Um, now it's a little bit more relaxed because the videos take a little bit longer to create and I think my, my audience understands that. But at least two to three times a week we post and... Um, I think keeping that the audience engaged and on on the journey with you is a, is the key to sort of keeping that audience and uh, entertaining them. Very good, brilliant. Well, it's been but an if, the ne if Netflix are listening, please just come <laughs> save me from YouTube. <laughs> save me from YouTube. There we go. There we go. Well, that's what a gold medal. <laughs> the weight of a gold medal. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure having oh, you here today. Really, yes, you're um, wonderful. Thank we look you so much. We look forward to spending more time with you tomorrow. I'm so inspired being here and, and it's finally amazing to come and, and hang out and it's been a long time coming. So thank you. And thank you to you guys for coming along. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs>